In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. Our first reading is quite familiar. In fact, we could say it is one of the most famous stories of the Old Testament, Sacrifice of Isaac. Our excerpt at Mass jumps over certain portions of the story to help condense it. Yet a good question to ask here is, how could God ask someone to do this? If God is all-loving, did he really ask Abraham to kill his son? Why didn't Abraham object at all? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Ultimately, we see that Abraham hopes against hope that somehow God is actually going to give Isaac back and that God will provide. After all, remember that at this point in Genesis, God already promised Abraham that he would have many descendants. And after Sarah miraculously gave birth in her old age, and Ishmael was banished, Isaac seems to be the only way that God could carry out this promise. Despite this command now to sacrifice him, Abraham continues to trust in God's promise, even when it seems impossible. We see Abraham's faith illustrated twice in the section of the story that's left out of the reading at Mass. In verse 5, Abraham says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go on over there. We will worship and then come back to you. And again in verse 8, Abraham says to his son that God will provide the sheep the burnt offering. Of course, we could read this as Abraham not wanting to disclose to his son exactly what will happen, sort of like an adult writing something off to a child with a, ah, don't worry about it. But we could also see this as an affirmation of Abraham's hope in God's providence. He knows somehow or another that Isaac will not actually be sacrificed. A final note about the story. Interestingly enough, the author not only doesn't tell us that Abraham objects to God's command, but that Isaac doesn't object either, even when he's being placed on the wood of the altar. Isaac doesn't hem or haw or resist. He is completely cooperative and trusting. Many church fathers saw this as an image of Christ, willing to give himself on the cross on behalf of humanity, which actually ties in quite well to our second reading. As you hear this passage from St. Paul writing to the Romans, imagine a courtroom setting, because that's exactly the language Paul is using between talking of a charge and the one who acquits us. He's saying, look, God is the ultimate judge, the one sitting on the judgment seat. But God was willing to give up his only son out of love to save us. If this is the case, then won't our judge also give us everything else along with him so that we might be saved? And then furthermore, Paul says that Jesus isn't going to be like a prosecuting attorney against God the Father, saying, well, hold up, Dad, you know so-and-so did that one thing. He says that Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. The only ones who have the power to accuse or condemn us, God and his Son, are in fact the very ones who are on our side. And if this is the case, if God is for us, who can be against us? As a quick aside, the second reading also is a good example of a common problem in biblical interpretation, punctuation marks. You see, when the scriptures were written, manuscripts didn't include punctuation marks. It took up way too much room, and many saw it as unnecessary, since a written text was more about jogging the memory than it was to be read word for word. All that to say, there's a debate here in our second reading. Is every sentence a rhetorical question, or did Paul intend some of the statements to not be in question form? 
we'll never know for sure. And our translation at Mass elects for putting each statement as a rhetorical question. Lastly, the Gospel. It's Mark's account of the Transfiguration. As we've discussed on previous episodes, mountains were seen as places of divine communication. And if you've ever climbed to the peak of a mountain, you can probably understand why. There's something about the rushing of wind and the view out over the land that makes someone feel godly. As Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up this mountain and is transfigured before them, Moses and Elijah appear. It's frequently observed that these two represent the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, and that's correct. But also, remember that Moses and Elijah both encountered God on a mountain. And in fact, speaking of Moses, there are five parallels between this event and the Exodus event on Mount Sinai. One, in both, a cloud covers the mountain. Two, God's voice is heard from the cloud. Three, there are three companions. Peter, James, and John accompany Jesus, while Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu accompany Moses. Four, there is a transformed appearance. and Remember that Moses' face becomes radiant after talking with the Lord. And finally, five, there is a reaction of fear on the part of those in attendance. After the transfiguration event, we're told that Jesus tells Peter, James, and John to keep the matter to themselves, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And the final line of the gospel tells us that these three were questioning what rising from the dead meant. Now, belief in a resurrection was not completely unknown at the time. And in fact, we see elsewhere in the gospels when Jesus debates with the Sadducees about the resurrection. But what these three are most likely questioning is that the Son of Man will die and rise from the dead. The Son of Man is another way to speak of the Messiah, remember? So the disciples are having a hard time believing that the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of Israel, is going to die and then be risen from the dead. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this Sunday, the second Sunday in Lent of year B. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.